This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. You are listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt at the Oracle of Fantasy Labs and Rotoviz. Welcome to the September 9th, 2017 NASCAR edition of On the Daily. I'm joined by Dr. Nick Giffen and Edward Rotoviz, a PhD in mathematics, a three time qualifier for the DraftKings NASCAR main event, and one of the best NASCAR DFS players in the world. You can follow him on Twitter at Rotodoc. Nick, how is it going? Hey Matt, it's doing. Uh, it's going great. I mean, we're we're coming up on the playoffs for NASCAR, the final race of the regular season. Football has started. It's just a cool time of year. These next 10, 11 weeks for NASCAR are going to be insane. All at the same time, we're going to be pulling double duty because we got the NFL going on. But are you ready for it? Yes, I am ready for it. It is very onerous to sit on this side of the microphone and read the outline that you've prepared for me. But Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. I'm going to do my best. There you go. I, I like it. I think... Uh, you know, I, <laughs> that comment really went nowhere. Yeah, it, it went nowhere. I'm, I I didn't really have a response for that. Maybe if you weren't so liquored up during these, <laughs> during these podcast sessions, you would have been able to do something with that comment. All right. Uh, obviously, Richmond coming up a fantastic race. But before that, we should talk about Darlington, where Denny Hamlin won in an amazing comeback uh, from missing pit road. And he passed Martin Truex Jr. with two laps to go. Nick, you wrote both about Truex and Hamlin as GPP plays. And then you rode them to victory in the first ever NASCAR DFS Thunderdome contest on DraftKings, winning the contest by a mere 0.5 points. And I believe you got some pretty nice cheddar for that victory. Tell us about your lineup decisions and uh, what the sweat was like. Yeah, I mean, that was easily the craziest sweat I've had in DFS, maybe top two. Uh, There was so many lead changes in terms of the standings of that Thunderdome. You know, there was only nine people who signed up, and so uh, top three got paid, but uh, there was supposed to be ten. It didn't didn't fill all the way, and so it was a little bit of overlay, which was nice, but uh, it just means I had to finish in the top third of the field to, to cash, and I ended up winning it, and the standings were flipping and flopping. Uh, so let me tell you about my lineup first and then I'll tell you about the sweat. So the lineup I decided to roll with was, um, 
Kevin Harvick and Martin Truex Jr. started one, two. And so because it was only a nine person field, I wanted to make sure I at least got a, a dominator in there. If it was Harvick, if it was Truex, that gave me a very good shot to raise my floor with uh, some dominator points. Kevin Harvick led the first little bit. He got uh, 22 laps led in total and 20 fastest laps, but he wasn't really a dominator because, uh, you know, 367 laps, that's just under or just over like 5% of the, the laps led. So we wouldn't really call that dominance, but uh, nevertheless, those points still help. And he finished inside the top 10. Truex, as we mentioned, uh, lost the lead late and he started second. He led 76 laps, 47 fastest laps. And and actually he, he blew a tire and kind of hit the outside wall there. And so he rode the last two laps and he fell from first to second to third to fourth, all the way down to eighth place. Uh, which was a big sweat for me because the guy behind me who finished second, who's also a, a podcast listener, a road of his subscriber, and a, a very, very good NASCAR DFS player himself, uh, he did not have Truex. That was kind of his contrarian play. He was the only one in the Thunderdome not to have Truex, and that almost cost me the victory right there. But uh, the reason I chose this, as I said, was to, to kind of elevate my floor with a dominator. I thought Denny Hamlin, for me, was a very clear value play in terms of what we could expect from him at Darlington. He was in the top four in both quality pass percentage and driver rating at Darlington and wasn't priced up there. He was priced, you know, he was priced a little bit cheaper, I think fifth or sixth highest. And because he started in ninth, that also offered a little bit of place differential potential. Hamlin, of course, ended up winning 124 laps led. 47 fastest laps, and he had maybe a NASCAR record. I think it's probably a NASCAR record for a four-tire pit stop where they did a stop in 9.5 seconds, which is just bananas. Usually you see 11 and 11.1 is on the fast end, and this blew that out of the water by a second and a half. So I think it's probably an all-time NASCAR record, and Denny Hamlin has a great pit crew. As long as he doesn't speed on pit road or do stupid things like that, uh, you know, he, he, he's got one of the best pit crews in the business. And of course, he did do a boneheaded thing. He missed pit road, had to slow down and, and, and missed it. So for part of a lap, he was going slow and then had to come back around, hit pit road. That cost him the lead. But he pitted so much later than Truex that he had fresh tires and was still only like six or seven seconds back and had about 35, 40 laps to make it up. Ended up, as we said, passing Truex there at the end. But the really the key stats for me that I talked about last weekend were track quality pass percentage, so Darlington quality pass percentage, and all of my choices were based around that. Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Casey Kane were the next two drivers in my lineup, and they were very high up in quality pass percentage relative to their salary. So they were both value plays just from the statistical standpoint, and they both had really nice starting positions. Kane started 23rd, Dale Jr. started 22nd. As it turns out, uh, oh, Kane also had very good practices inside the top 10 in both practice sessions and Dale Jr. practice in the teens. So, so both of them starting in the 20s, great stats for this track, good practice relative to starting position. They didn't finish well. Uh, Kane finished 24th, Jr. finished 22nd. So I actually got negative one place differential combined between the two, but it didn't hurt me. At least they kind of maintained their position. And Kane just, for whatever reason, uh, I guess they didn't, they didn't, just lost track of the car somehow because they were practicing very well and he's very good at this track. So I don't know what happened there. Dale Jr. was doing better. He was in the mid teens. And then uh, I think he had a loose wheel there at the end or a, or a tire going down or something like that and had to make a very late pit stop. And that was part of the sweat that was uh, that we'll get to in a minute. Finally, the last driver on my roster was Carl Long. 
And so Carl Long is uh, a GPP winner here. Uh, he was started dead last, and it was just a pure salary play. I mean, I, I between those five other drivers I named, Dale Jr., Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, Casey Kane, and Martin Truex Jr., they were all priced you know, $7,500 or more. And so that only left me with $4,600. Carl Long was priced down there at uh, 4500 so I left $100 on the table. But he started dead last. And the other thing is at Darlington, about 25% of the field – has some kind of major problem. So on average, Carl Long was expected to finish around 31st place, which would have been positive nine place differential if he finished the race with no major problems. He actually had gotten up to 32nd at one point. He had a little bit of a problem, had to come in, lost a couple laps because of that. But other than that, stayed on the track. Uh, and so even though he finished 17 laps down because a lot of other people had crashes and problems, he still gained seven places. And that was something I really paid attention to was the fact that Darlington had a very high problem rate, so it made sense for me to use the guy starting dead last. As long as he didn't have a major problem, I definitely would pick up positive place differential there for 4,500. Uh, and then as far as the sweat goes, uh, it was it was wild. Um, you know, I mentioned how Dale Earnhardt Jr. Uh, had a, a loose wheel there at the end or a flat going down and had to pit, so that dropped me down into third. Uh, Denny Hamlin, of course, I mentioned, missed the pit box, and I thought that was going to cost me not just first place because I was in first place at the time, but uh, it actually dropped me out of the top three completely. He made his way back forward. Kyle Larson actually also led 124 laps, the exact same number as Denny Hamlin. I did not have Larson in my lineup uh, Larson started, you know, making up some places there at the end, but then he fell backward. He, his car wasn't very good at the end of the race. It was better in the day than it was at night. So he probably lost five or six, seven, eight spots there towards the latter half of the latter 40 laps of the race. And that let me climb back up the standings. And, uh, you know, I got to the top and then I dropped down and back up. And I mean, I, I took several screenshots throughout the race and it was cool because the top five people, um, are all really five great just NASCAR DFS players. And we were swapping the top five positions just back and forth those last, you know, 80 laps or something like that, especially the last 40. So it was just cool sweat. And thank God Martin Truex Jr. didn't fall to ninth instead of eighth or, or, you know, I'd only be talking about second place instead of first. All right. The narrative of Thunderdome domination. What was the, the buy-in for that? How much did you win? And who were some of the other, the other people playing in that contest? Yeah, so it was a $5,300 buy-in, a $50,000 total prize pool, but since only nine of the ten entered, then, you know, you take that, and uh, really it was only like $45,000 worth of, of buy-ins, but DraftKings, since the GPP, since it's guaranteed, yeah. it was $50,000, so it was like a $5,000 overlay, I mean, if you, and then obviously the $300, like, uh, rake, and so... Uh, it was it was definitely a, a high stakes tournament. It was the very first one ever. I mean, we see it all the time in the in the Thunderdome in the NFL or PGA. Um, I know, you know a lot of big names play in those, and, and this was the very first one that DraftKings ever ran for NASCAR. Don't have it this week, unfortunately, but uh, yeah, it was it was awesome. There was uh, most mostly regulars, so NS Mafia, who uh, was the the main event co-champion last year, he entered. Giles of the Trees, who's one of the top two or three NASCAR DFS players in the world as well. Uh, Trun, who is the guy I mentioned that uh, finished second, good friend of mine. He follows me on Twitter, and we we talk NASCAR. Uh, he finished second, and then uh, you know just some other big names. And I thought one thing that was interesting because there was such late overlay. Uh, Osimo, who is I think top two in the Roto Grinders rankings for all of GP or all of DFS. Decided to throw in an entry. He hasn't played much NASCAR. He finished dead last. So even though he was chasing overlay, it didn't didn't quite work out for him. And uh, 
not not taking shots or anything, but I think if you want to chase overlay, you probably should know something about the sport. I'm never going to chase Major League Baseball overlay or or overlay of other sports I don't know much about because I would get crushed and Osimo got crushed. Okay. So we are going to talk, obviously, about Richmond, which, by the way, I should say happy two-year anniversary, Nickleby. That's right. Two years, baby. It's uh, the show I think we did uh, first of all of our podcasts. Is that right? Yeah, the inaugural show. It was our our pre-chase warm-up. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We um, we did Richmond, and then we did the whole chase, and we kind of had – I think we had like a chase contest as well. Maybe we should bring that back. We did have a chase contest. I don't remember what it was about. Uh, like what the, I think we did it sort of like a, like an NCAA bracket style type of thing. Yeah, yeah, we did. And I think you had to fill out the bracket and we gave certain points for certain things. It's, it's going to be a little harder, I think a little more difficult or sorry, a little harder to separate yourself in the chase bracket contest this year if we were to do one, because uh, Martin Truex Jr. is pretty much guaranteed to make, I would think the final round. He's got 37 playoff points right now. He's going to get 15 more because he won the regular season championship. So he's basically got a full race's worth of playoff points that carries through each round of the playoffs. So it's, you know, I mean, when you have a race lead on everybody, it's pretty hard not to make the finals. Right. Come on. Where's the contrarian in you? But yeah. Okay. So we will obviously, uh, by we, I mean, Nick, Nick will obviously come up with some sort of awesome contest for, it's no longer called the chase, but for the, the chase, whatever it is now for the, the yeah, you know what we should do? We should give a road of his, uh, I think it's a, going to be a zip pullover away for this contest. That is exactly what we should do. Yeah, so you're going to come up with the format for this contest. We will give away at least a uh, an upper body Rotoviz apparel item, and uh, maybe some other stuff on top of that too. Like I don't know, maybe like Nick. I think we could probably give like a uh, a sub for next year's NASCAR. I'm I'm quite I'm quite sure that's probably going to be in the offering. I think we can do a uh, first place. We get the hoodie and not the hoodie, the upper body apparel, probably a a pullover, zip pullover. Looks really nice, by the way. Uh, And a a lifetime pass to all of Rotoviz, all of our subscriptions. Wow, to everything on Rotoviz. Yeah, Annie there. Second place, I think we'll do uh, a lifetime pass to NASCAR, and third place, we'll do a year subscription to NASCAR. How about that? All right, that sounds good. And for all of you losers out there who don't win this contest, you can still get a 30% discount to a special NASCAR pass through our NASCAR podcast homepage, rotavis.com slash NASCAR podcast. With that pass, you get unlimited access to all of Nick's premium NASCAR content, and your subscription supports the pod. Also, NFL has started, so... You know, subscribe at a 30% discount to the NFL Pass, rotaviz.com slash podcast for all of the goodness that Rotaviz has to offer. Uh, Nick, let's talk about Richmond. So it's the final race of the regular season. What is the playoff picture currently like, and how is that going to impact the driving strategies that we see? Yeah, the playoff picture is uh, pretty much decided outside of should one of these guys on the outside looking in win the race. Uh, you know, Clint Boyer did not have a good race. Joey Logano did not have a, a great race. So they are both now outside, more than 60 points outside. They're actually like 94 and, and, and beyond points away. And it, you can only get 60 points in a race. So everybody who's on the outside looking in has to win. 
all those drivers on the inside which are that don't have a win, which are uh, Chase Elliott, Matt Kenseth, and Jamie McMurray, are within three points of each other. So if one of these drivers on the outside wins, those three will be battling each other to to make sure you know one of those three doesn't get knocked out or battling each other to be the one that doesn't get knocked out of those three. But that would require a win from somebody like a Clint Boyer, Joey Logano. Um, you know, all those drivers, Eric Jones, et cetera, that don't have wins yet this year that are on the outside looking in. So the three safe ones, as I mentioned, Chase Elliott, Matt Kenseth, and uh, Jamie McMurray are probably going to be the last three in the chase unless we get a wild winner this weekend. So how does that affect strategy? Well, I think most likely you're not going to see Matt Kenseth beating and banging. Uh, hopefully he and Joey Logano don't have any clashes or anything like that. But uh, I think those three drivers will probably be, be racing their race, not really pushing the envelope, not trying to uh, you know make life difficult for drivers trying to pass them or, or make aggressive passes on other drivers. But I do think um, you know that 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 these drivers will still be very good because they've been very good all year. So uh, I just don't see as much upside for these. Now that's had Kenseth starts in the pole, so there is some merit to using him this weekend. But I think the other two probably uh, become pretty tough GPP plays just because of the situation they're in, both in terms of uh, qualifying and in terms of just race strategy. Now, of course, we've got other drivers: Joey Logano, Clint Boyer, as I mentioned. Soares, Eric Jones, yada, 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 on down the list, who will probably be taking some gambles. Uh, we haven't seen as many crazy gambles as I thought we would see over the past couple of races. The one that I really stands out to me was Trevor Bain at the at the Brickyard 400, I almost said the Indy 500, the Brickyard 400 at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. He could have won that race if an untimely caution didn't come out. I think he had the field covered on strategy they used a really interesting strategy that I think would have worked out had, had the caution not come. So certainly I think people will be looking for a strategy, but it's a lot easier to do strategy at a track like Indy than it is at Richmond. All right, let's talk about the track itself. Richmond is a .75 mile oval with only 14 degree banking in the turns, which qualifies it for flat track status. What is racing at Richmond normally like? Racing at Richmond is is interesting because it's you know flat track, so obviously track position is important at pretty much any flat track. I think for whatever reason, uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this, but Richmond definitely commands a premium on track position. Uh, hard to pass, but you know if you can pass, you're going to be do you're going to do very well at Richmond. So one of the things we will look at is quality pass percentage this weekend. Uh, obviously. Uh, like last weekend at Darlington, quality pass percentage was at a premium as well, and track position was also very important there. So even though they're two very different tracks, uh, they, they both have something similar in that quality pass percentage and track position are very important. Other than that, it races kind of in between like your your short tracks and your one-and-a-half-mile ovals, and that's probably because it is between a short track and a one-and-a-half-mile oval. I mean, technically, it counts as a short track because it's .75 miles, but it's not your half-mile like Martinsville, uh, and it's not your one-and-a-half-mile tracks or, or anything like that so it's it's definitely a unique track but it's not overly unique i mean obviously phoenix is a one mile track that has a relatively similar banking and shape to richmond so that's a pretty comparable track there's another track that the xfinity series races in iowa speedway which is a seven eighths mile oval also shaped just like richmond uh with with a little bit of variable banking in the corners whereas richmond just has a steady 14 degree banking in the turns but either way they're both flat tracks similarly shaped so uh drivers that tend to do well at these tracks you know these correlated tracks will tend to do well at richmond as well but the racing there hard to pass um track position matters so much and it's really important to stay on the lead lap because if you know if you go a, a 
a lap down, there aren't many cautions at Richmond, so it's hard to make up that lap back through either the lucky dog or the wave around. So staying on the lead lap is paramount at Richmond. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Hey, sports fans. Football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Okay, so you mentioned track position being very important. Richmond has more wins from the pole than any other track, and over 75% of its winners have started inside the top 10. So what is it about Richmond that makes track position so important? I think it's the fact that I, I alluded to it there a little bit, that there are so few DNFs at Richmond, so few cautions at Richmond. It's just not a track that is on the aerodynamic edge or on the mechanical grip edge. Uh, and, and it also isn't a track like, like you can get at um, Martinsville, for example, or even at Poconet where you get a lot of brake wear and that can cause a tire failure or things like that. So, uh, even Phoenix, we saw, I think it was one of the races last year, we saw a lot of melted beads. You're not going to get that at Richmond, uh, especially at a night race where it's going to be cooler. It's going to be a lot harder to to have brake problems and things like that. It's also a track that, as I mentioned, is not on the aerodynamic edge. I mean, they, they always try to race on the edge because they want to go as fast as they can, but it's not like some of these super high-speed tracks where it's much easier to snap loose or, or you know just push up into the gray and then hit the wall. It's a lot harder to do that at Richmond, so very low DNF rate. Very few cautions, um, and and that makes for a lot of green flag racing. And so track position at Richmond is so important relative to another flat track like Martinsville or, or even Phoenix, as I mentioned, just because things can shake up more when there's more cautions. And when there aren't as many cautions, you know, it's still just as hard to pass at Richmond as it is maybe at Martinsville uh, or or at or Phoenix or or New Hampshire. These short flat tracks, 
the problem is the cautions. And so Richmond and, and I also, you know, New Hampshire to some degree are the two that produce the least amount of cautions and are the two that actually command the most premium on track position and starting position in terms of finishing position just because there's less shakeup throughout the race. So uh, I think it's mostly that is why, you know, the starting position is so important at Richmond. Okay. Aside from starting position, what are the key stats you're looking at to evaluate finishing position this weekend? Yeah, there's a, a few stats that I'm looking at. It's it's interesting. I think the reason I'll mention these, it's actually uh, year-to-date finish, and then also it is uh, track finish. And I think the reason these finishing stats pop up is because, uh, as I mentioned, there's there's just not a lot of cautions here. So um, if Everything really does driver rating and finishing position correlate a lot more. And I think some drivers are just better at actually closing out a race. We see that with like Kevin Harvick. He's the closer and Chase Elliott is the anti-closer, if you will, in some ways where he always seems like he's in contention for the win and then somehow blows it. But uh, for whatever reason, the, the finishing position statistics are popping up more than the driver rating statistics. I did mention quality pass percentage. That's also important. Uh, and then just the 10 lap average is going to be super important. The 10 lap average in final practice. You can also look at the first lap uh, or sorry, the first practice 10 lap average. And I think it'll be interesting this week because first practice was in the morning and it should be closer to nighttime conditions than second practice, which was in the heat of the day. So I don't mind this week, at least looking at both 10 lap averages. The, the model just uses the final 10 lap average and final practice, but I think using both could be a uh, you know a subtle advantage over the model this week even. Uh, but uh, starting position, 10 lap average, and then track type or track type, so flat track finishing position, and then year to date finishing position really stand out along with some quality pass percentage at at the flat tracks, uh, and, and really just kind of stick to the flat tracks there with quality pass percentage. We're not looking at year to date quality pass percentage. It doesn't stand out in my model, but I was really surprised about the finishing position. Uh, statistic there being more significant than the driver rating, but I think it makes sense when we realize that there, you know there just aren't a lot of problems that happen at Richmond, so your driver rating and your finishing position correlate really well. Nick, of the drivers on the outside of the playoffs looking in, who are the ones who best fit the key statistics you've just mentioned? So I think the obvious name is Joey Logano. Uh, if we look at his, you know, his history at Richmond, average finish of 5.4. We can extend that to the flat tracks. It's still one of the best, and that's just because he's been so good over the years. But this year has been a bit of a struggle. And if we if we just look at the last eight flat track finishes for Joey Logano, it is only 13.8. Daniel Suarez actually has a 13.2 average flat track finish in his career. So uh, Daniel Suarez does get the nod there, at least in terms of flat track finishing position. And then if we extend out towards year to date finishing position, Daniel Suarez and uh, is, is average 13.2. I'm sorry, that's still the, the flat track ones. I forgot to remove the uh, the flat designation there. But if we just look at finishing position this year, Daniel Suarez 15.6, Joey Logano 15.1. So I'd say they're right neck and neck. Uh, another driver you have to consider is Clint Boyer, 13.5 average finish. He's been very good at Richmond in the past, so this is a track that has been kind of him. He did intentionally spin out one time at Richmond, uh, and I say intentionally because that was the infamous year where Michael Waltrip Racing got a huge penalty because Boyer spun out to help his teammate Martin Truex Jr. at the time. 
Uh, and then, you know, NASCAR allowed Jeff Gordon to make the chase and as a 13th car and all hell broke loose because, uh, you know, cheating allegations in NASCAR and, and Napa, the Napa know-how, you know, the Napa auto parts pulled out of sponsoring Truex and that led to the demise of Michael Waltrip racing. So you can see some shenanigans in this race. But my point is Clint Boyer is actually pretty good at this track unless he intentionally spins out. But uh, I think Boyer... Daniel Suarez and Joey Logano will be the three main ones. And then you also can't count out Eric Jones. Eric Jones' year-to-date finish hasn't been as good. He has more DNFs. But at a track that has fewer DNFs than all of them, I think if we you know, look at, at finishing position with the DNFs removed, Eric Jones jumps up there as well with a 12.8 average finish in races he has finished. Uh, these flat tracks, these these you know half mile to one mile flat tracks, have been very kind to Eric Jones, especially Iowa and Phoenix uh, in the Xfinity series. He's also performed well at Richmond with a second place finish in the Xfinity series in Richmond. Uh, so Eric Jones, I think, is also a name to look out for. So those are the four I would give the clear edge to, and that's just because those have been the four best finishers this year. I think outside of that, I really don't see anybody else, not even Dale Jr., uh, who really could contend for a win. That's on the outside looking in. You mentioned Joey Logano in that group, and I have a follow-up question on Logano. Um, he's been a different type of driver, or at least I think, a different type of driver this year than he has been in previous years. I guess, one, correct me if I'm wrong or tell me if that's correct, but then two, if that is the case, how applicable do you think some of his past data is to this particular race? Yeah, that's a really good question because it's it's ironic that we're at Richmond closing out the chase because this is the race Richmond that he won earlier this year that got encumbered, which was essentially it counted towards his statistics, but it did not count towards his playoff advancement. And since then, he's been pretty horrible. I mean, if you look at Joey Logano's finishes after Richmond, he only has two top five finishes, whereas before that, he was he was actually one of the best drivers in NASCAR. So I don't know what's going on, if it had to do with the encumberment, if uh, they just somehow lost it, because we did see a decline in performance around that same time from Keselowski. Like, if we look at Logano's start to the year, here's his finishes. 6-6-4, a 31 in Phoenix. 5-4-3-5-1. And that took us up to Richmond. After that, as I mentioned, only two top fives and only three top tens. And, you know, before that, it was basically just all top sixes other than that one DNF at Phoenix. So uh, I don't know what happened. It was the encumberment at Richmond. I don't know if that got them behind because their crew chief got suspended or anything like that. Uh, but it certainly seems like they've been playing catch up this year. Their cars aren't where they should be. Uh, I think, you know, maybe that, you know, Logano probably avoided inspection at some avoided inspection at some of these races beforehand. So maybe he had all those good finishes because they had an illegal car. And now that they don't have this uh, illegal car anymore, you know, they've been staying within the standards. It's just not up to snuff to compare to some of these other teams. And, and maybe it's just not comfortable. Maybe that adjustment that was illegal uh, was, as I mentioned, done before Richmond and led to a lot of string of good finishes, felt really good for Logano, taking that away maybe made it a lot worse. So I'm not quite sure, but I think you're right. I think we can look at data from you know beyond Richmond until now. He's certainly a different driver, and I think it makes it a lot tougher for him. That said, he hasn't been terrible this weekend in terms of you know qualifying and pace, and it is one of his better tracks. So um, I, it's, it's tough to say how much we should rely on past history like prior to this year. But I certainly think we should give more weight to how he's been performing recently because it just hasn't been very good. Sharp, extemporaneous NASCAR question from Friedman. Uh, I'll, I'll return to the outline. How predictable is Richmond? 
Richmond is actually uh, pretty predictable because uh, just of the things that we've mentioned here, it's uh, a track that, you know, doesn't have a lot of DNFs. It doesn't have, um, you know, a a high problem rate, very few cautions. So it becomes one of the more predictable tracks on the circuit. And Phoenix is the most predictable track on the circuit. Uh, Charlotte's right up there. And then Richmond is actually third most. And I think it's probably just because it's so closely related to Phoenix. Very high predictability. The R squared is in the upper 0.5 range, 0.58. Um, you know, Phoenix was all the way up around 0.65. And, uh, Charlotte is also in that 0.58, 0.60 range. So Richmond, maybe second or third most predictable in NASCAR. So definitely a track where we can rely on the model, especially for cash games. Uh, obviously, still in, in GPPs, there's 40-ish percent of the finishing positions that can't be explained by the model. So there still is some edge to, you know, fading certain things. If, if certain drivers are going to be too over-owned or, or going overweight on drivers that are too under-owned relative to a model. But this is definitely a week that's a lot harder to get a GPP edge because it is more predictable. Interesting. Now, uh, there's the previous Richmond race of the season, which you just mentioned earlier. Uh, because Richmond is the last race of the regular season, does that change the predictability of this particular race in comparison to the first Richmond race? So I actually uh, thought it would. And then when I ran the numbers, it doesn't. Um, if we go back to uh, 2005, which is when the loop data starts, NASCAR started the chase in 2004. And every time that NASCAR has done the chase, the final race has been Richmond. So I looked all the way from 2005 to now at the first Richmond race versus the second Richmond race. And the total DNF rate is basically identical. Uh, the models that I built on each one in terms of R squareds are within 0.01 of each other. So, you know, 0.575 versus 0.584. Uh, so essentially no difference there in terms of the model predictability. Uh, I, I, again, I mentioned the DNF rates, the caution numbers are actually very similar. So no, um, I, I actually think there is no difference between the first race and the second race, even though we think there should be. Uh, it's, it just, it's weird that, you know, it, it, it anecdotally people, people should be taking these strategies. Um, you know, obviously I mentioned the Clint Boyer spin to help, but that really seems to be like the only one that's really played out in terms of a major influence on finishing position or anything like that over the years. Uh, and that's just one isolated incident. So uh, I, I mentioned this at the beginning that, that Richmond is hard, a hard track to pull strategy off at, unlike, you know, Phoenix or sorry, I meant Pocono or, or Indy or things like that of the flat tracks. Richmond's a lot harder to pull off strategy. So I think that is probably the reason why we don't see a whole lot of uh, difference between the first race and the second race. I'm wondering with the stages this year, if that will be any, excuse me, any different, but uh, I'm not so sure it will be. Yeah, that's really fascinating to me that uh, they are so similar. I mean, it, it seems as if there's a, a game theory advantage and maybe fading, fading the perceived strategy of drivers. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, like this driver, he's going to be extra aggressive because he has to try to get it to get into the chase. And while in fact, that might be the intention, we don't see that result in, in the data. Yeah, I, I think that actually makes a lot of sense. So like, for example, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Qualified 21st. He's not a driver that I would put, even, uh, you know, just on pure speed as having a chance to win this race. And then you add in this air quote strategy component. Uh, maybe people will think that he, you know, he has a chance to win or something because they might pull off some crazy strategy. Don't bank on it this weekend. I think it's uh, unfortunately 
the you know the the fat lady has sung here so to speak for Dale Earnhardt Jr. on his playoff chances and uh, I don't think he has any chance really so um, you know he qualified 21st he's not the, the worst play in the world but I don't think he's a super high upside GPP play as we'd like to think because strategy seems to be reduced here. Uh, and as you mentioned, there might be that perceived element of strategy. So Dale Earnhardt Jr. is probably a driver. If he goes over-owned, I'll be off of. And I think there's a chance he could because he qualified 21st. Um, obviously, you know, if, if, if people don't end up playing the strategy game, it, it won't give us any extra edge. But I think there probably will be some people who look at it as GPP or bust for some of these drivers and might throw them into a GPP just because of that perception. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Hey, sports fans. Football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Okay, we talked about the stats for finishing position. Of course, domination is important. There are 400 laps for dominators. Uh, what are the stats that we should be looking at? Yeah, again, starting position obviously makes the the most sense because if you know starting position is so important to finishing position. And it's really hard to pass here. Starting position is going to be extremely important for dominance. So we definitely want to look at that top couple drivers there in terms of our most likely dominators. Uh, then the other thing that's important. So I, I said track type finish for um, for finishing position. Well, it's actually just Richmond finish for dominance that stood out in the model. Also year to date dominance, especially in fastest laps. And then quality pass percentage again stood out. So uh, I mentioned quality pass percentage earlier in the show. It's the same thing here, not only for finishing position, but for dominance. Quality pass percentage actually shows up in this case, not just in the track type, but also in the year-to-date quality pass percentage. So uh, I, I think this is just one of those tracks that it's so hard to pass at. But if you start up front and you can pass, that means you can also pass for the lead. So uh, you know, I might be inclined to – I think an interesting way to fade at certain drivers that are starting up front at Richmond – 
might be to look at which ones have a lower quality pass percentage either this year or at you know the flat tracks this year and fade those drivers. So uh, that would be my way of kind of like fading dominators that are starting up you know in the top five, six, eight drivers or something like that. Uh, the only other thing I want to add here is that's for laps led. We of course also have fastest laps in there. You can also throw in the 10 lap average and, and th- it's important because you get through a run at Richmond very often. So the longer run speed will actually tend to lead to more fastest laps than your single lap speed. So the cars that are better on a long run will also have more fastest laps because we get so few cautions here. We get a lot of long runs here. All right. And what is the distribution of dominators typically at for Richmond? Yeah, so the distribution is mostly twos and threes, just like we saw last weekend at Darlington. And that, again, played out, uh, you know, at, at Darlington, we had three dominators this past weekend. We had Martin Truex Jr., we had Kyle Larson, and we had Denny Hamlin. Uh, same thing with Richmond. We we only have two to three dominators at most of these races. So if we, you know, for example, go back to uh, 2016 and we look at, at the dominators, uh, it was 37.8 percentage for Kyle Busch, 19, or sorry, for Carl Edwards, 19.5 for Kyle Busch, 15.8 for Kevin Harvick. So that was a three. But then you go to the race before that, it was 88% Matt Kenseth. And then uh, he was actually the only dominator in that one. That was kind of a rare one. But, uh, you know, there's definitely mostly twos and threes. Uh, Kurt Busch and Joey Logano were a two back in 2015. And then earlier this year, we had a, I believe it was a two as well. I accidentally filtered out the results for that one. But uh, it's mostly twos and threes when I checked up on it. And so I will be playing strategy to mostly have twos because I I just have this weird feeling that, and I don't know, I mean, this is like so anti-Rotovis in some way, but I just have this feeling that, um, you know, either Denny Hamlin or Matt Kenseth, probably Matt Kenseth will get out front. Uh, Denny Hamlin will protect because Matt Kenseth is is at this point where if he's, as long as he doesn't run into trouble, he'll be fine. And I don't think Denny Hamlin and Matt Kenseth are going to race each other. So one of those two will lead. Like if Denny Hamlin does press the issue with Matt. I think Matt lets him go by very easily, but one of those two will probably lead. And then our other drivers that are, you know, our biggest dominator contenders are buried back a little bit. Truex is fifth. Kyle Busch is seventh. Kyle Larson is fourth, but he's not really a flat track dominator, so to speak. Richmond hasn't been as great as track. So some of these other dominators, I think will have a harder time coming forward and dominating. We might only get two dominators this race. There's a chance for three, of course, but I think I'll do, you know, maybe, uh, 60% twos and then like 40% threes, whereas I think I'd probably split it about 50-50 if I didn't have this weird feeling about the way the starting lineup is set up. That was so unwrote of his. I'm almost embarrassed to be on this podcast with you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just the feeling I get with the, the way the strategy will play out with those Toyota teammates there up front. That said, of course, Matt Kenseth in his you know final year with uh, Joe Gibbs Racings and there's no love lost there between uh, the you know the team and Matt Kenseth. I, I know he wants to go out on a good note and everything like that, but I'm sure there's some bitterness lingering. But uh, I still think in the end they play nice, and either Denny Hamlin or Matt Kenseth probably dominate most of this first segment. And then after that, it really just comes down to what happens in the rest of the segments. But it's such a hard strategy race. It's such a hard race to get a third dominator from uh, in general that you know it, it can happen just because there's so many laps but i think just the fact that there it will have we have this teammate dynamic and then we have these other dominators that we normally see qualifying in the top three or four qualifying outside of the first two rows i think it's probably just a two dominator race 
All right, speaking of the Dominators, let's get to your picks for domination this week. Who do you got? Yeah, I mean, it's, for me, it's going to be Matt Kenseth. Uh, he hasn't run a, a, you know, super well this year, but he qualified out front. His practice speeds were very good. So uh, I don't see how you can ignore Matt Kenseth. He's priced down at $9,000, which is also an advantage for us if he does dominate because then he you know, just produces even more value. But uh, Matt Kenseth, I think, has to be the, the clear number one here with his Richmond track history. Since 2013, he has the highest driver rating at Richmond, one of the best average finishes at Richmond. So uh, going to be tough for me to move away from Matt Kenseth there. He actually was so, uh, I guess, good in, in terms of practice that he led the first practice session as well in terms of overall time and was fifth in the single lap as well. The thing that does concern me is his 10-lap average. So... I just I don't know if Denny Hamlin ends up protecting him or not. My second most likely dominator will actually be Martin Truex Jr. Of him and Kyle Busch, the two that are kind of starting out front or sorry, starting a little further back, but up front. Uh, I'm throwing Larson out there because of his flat track history. But uh, Truex starts a little bit further forward. He has a little bit better quality pass percentage this year. So I'm going to go with Truex as my second most likely dominator. Uh, if we do a, if we do get a third dominator, I think it'll probably be Denny Hamlin, but uh, that's just in terms of of likelihood because Hamlin's starting second, great pit crew, uh, and hopefully he won't have any you know missing pit road issues like he had last week. All right, let's go to cash games. Who do you have there? So qualifying shook out, uh, I think, a little interesting this week. The RCR cars, the Richard Childress racing cars, were really bad. Uh, Austin Dillon qualified 31st, Newman 27th, Menard 26th. And then you can kind of throw in the affiliate there with Ty Dillon uh, in uh, the 13 car for Jermaine. Uh, but, you know, he qualified 32nd. And then they're they're closely tied with, with RCR, of course. So those cars qualified really poorly. But I think they will race a lot better. Ty Dillon uh, qualified 32nd. And out of the, the races this year where he's qualified 25th or worse, his place differential has been nine spots or better every single time except twice where it was uh, uh, two times he had negative place differential when he started 25th or worse. So he's just a place differential monster this year when qualifying 25th or worse. So. Ty Dillon, definitely going to be a cash game play of mine down there in the mid-6K price range. I was going to you know, talk about Eric Almirola, how he's underpriced 5700 but then he went and qualified much further ahead. I mean, not way far ahead, but he qualified 23rd, and I'd rather maybe have Ty Dillon back there in 32nd for $800 more or something like that. So uh, Ty Dillon's going to be my cash game play, and then I think Ryan Newman probably also has to be a cash game play. Uh, he's won at Phoenix earlier this year. He had a very good first Richmond race earlier this year. Uh, very good at the flat tracks, hard to pass and can pass and can make passes. So I like Ryan Newman as a cash game play as well. And then I think you just kind of have to throw in some of those dominator chances as well. As I mentioned, you know, Matt Kenseth probably raises your floor. Uh, so it'll come down to roster construction in terms of who I actually go with in the dominators. But I'm pretty sure Matt Kenseth will be one of them. The question is, do I go with both Matt Kenseth and Denny Hamlin? Or do I maybe change it up and go with somebody like Martin Truex Jr. in cash games for my second dominator shot? I do think you can take three dominator shots because of just the way things set up. It's just how you want to approach cash games. But you certainly want at least two to give yourself that raised floor because most likely, you know, if you pick two, you know, high, li highly likely dominators, at least one of them is going to dominate. And if both of them dominate, you're going to do very well in cash games. What are your thoughts for GPPs? 
Yeah, GPPs are tough because, you know, the strategy element is eliminated. Uh, one driver that I do think could go overlooked is actually um, because he qualified further forward is Eric Almola. I still like using him at 5,700 because if he advances forward and he has very good Richmond history, uh, that's very good. I mean, $5,700 price tag doesn't make any sense. So you can still use Eric Almarola in GPPs. I'm just less comfortable with using him in cash because he qualified 23rd instead of maybe 28th or something like that. Uh, I think he's a very good play in GPPs. Certainly you could consider him in cash, but he's also probably going to be pretty chalky in GPPs. But I, that's okay. I'm all right with that because I don't think he's going to be overly chalky. And Richmond is one of the more predictable races. So I do like Eric Almarola in my GPP lineups. You could also consider Jimmy Johnson starting there in 20th. I don't think he'll get a lot of cash game play because I think you'll instead have drivers uh, for cash games that I mentioned that have dominator potential. And also, I think Brad Keselowski might be in some people's cash game lineups, qualified 15th, one of the best Richmond racers out there, along with his teammate Logano. So um, I think Jimmy Johnson will go under owned relative to the amount of you know, places he can move forward uh, this weekend at Richmond. So I like Jimmy Johnson and GPPs like Eric Almarola. I had to pick one more. I do think Clint Boyer is an interesting play. He has shown some speed so far this weekend. Qualified 13th. I don't know if that's going to be unlucky for him or not, but uh, obviously if there is some sort of strategy element that does make its way in here, Clint Boyer might be that guy. I'm not going with Dale Earnhardt Jr. I'm not going with, uh, you know, other strategy plays like that, but I do think Clint Boyer, just basically, just based on his track history uh, and his speed, you know, all, matching up all those statistics that I mentioned earlier, Boyer is a very good fit, and so I think he could be an interesting GPP play just because if he stays in that lead lap, and and he should, uh, and he will, I believe, then let's say there's a caution with 40 to go or, or you know 25 to go or something, maybe he does an opposite, you know, an opposite strategy from the leaders and gives himself a chance to win. I'm not. You know, I'm not saying it's very likely, but that could be one way that he does do that. And and even then, uh, he still has a good car this week and a good track history. So Clint Boyer is my last GPP pick for for the pod this week. Joe Dirt, who do you have? Um, I mean, I guess technically Almirola qualifies as Joe Dirt this week because he's down at 5,700. Uh, so it, it makes it tough to you know to I guess uh, say anybody else other than him. But if I am going to say one more. It's, it's actually a name that I think will be a little bit unlikely, and uh, that's Corey LaJoy. So the thing for me about Corey LaJoy is he's the car that is starting last of all of the cars that I actually think um, you know have kind of a, a chance to be together on speed. So like I, I think Landon Castle in front of him, David Reagan in front of him, uh, you know Matt DiBenedetto in front of him, I think there's a chance he could pass on those because he has hung a little bit this weekend. Uh, I don't love the pick, but the price tag is also pretty good for for Corey LaJoy. You're getting him down there right at 5,000 versus a guy like David Reagan, 5,500, uh, who's starting a bit further forward. So it, Joe Dirt Jeep's tough this week. I actually don't think I'm going to use Joe Dirt much at all this week outside of Eric Almarola. Uh, but we'll see as I start constructing lineups and, and, of course, as I run the model. I haven't run the model yet since qualifying only recently ended, and that could be subject to change. But my initial thoughts, my initial gut reaction is mostly just Eric Almarola this week. Okay, finally, who is your pick to win the race? So I'm not going to go with any of the uh, any of the outside looking in guys uh, that didn't work out last week with Dale Jr. as my pick, my you know too early pick to win. I'm also not going to go with Ken Ziff or McMurray or Elliott, these guys that are on the inside but that that don't have a win because they're also going to be playing it safe. 
Danny Hamlin is pretty tempting right up there in second, but uh, I think it's going to be the guy that we've seen all year be the best driver. It's going to be Martin Truex Jr. for me. He also, you know, was, uh, oh, just the fastest in 10 lap average in final practice. So I'm going to go really chalky and go Martin Truex Jr. this week. You don't disappoint. No, I, I sure don't, but uh, I, I guess I. I guess that Dylan Hart Jr. pick disappointed a little bit last week in terms of way too early pick to win. And, uh, you know, I, I think um, obviously once once qualifying had happened and all that, he pretty pretty much was a bad pick. But uh, that's why it's way too early. I haven't run the models yet. But this week, I think Martin Truex Jr. is uh, a modelless pick that I probably won't be changing even with a model. All right. That is going to do it for this NASCAR edition of On the Daily. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Road of his live. What oh. is it? Yeah, two hours before lineup lock. Um, I actually so lineups lock at 4:30 Pacific time, 7:30 Eastern time. I'm gonna say it Pacific time first because everybody always says Eastern time first. But uh, yeah, 4:30 Pacific, 7:30 Eastern is when lineups lock. So two hours before that, 2:30 Pacific, 5:30 Eastern tomorrow. And I guess if some of you are listening to it Saturday, then it's today. Obviously race day. Uh, and, uh, so we'll be doing the normal deal for Road of His Live and hashtag RV Live to ask questions. I'll answer them on air. We had a lot of good questions last week, filled up the whole hour and, uh, definitely was a, a very good, insightful, fun show. You guys, you guys asked some great questions. So, uh, let's have another fun Road of His Live this week. All right. That is going to do it for this NASCAR edition of On the Daily. For Nick Giffen on Twitter at RotoDoc, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt at the Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to On the Daily, the Road of His Daily fantasy sports podcast powered by Road of His Radio. And special thanks to Randy E. Aguabo for the introduction. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Road of His Radio feed. Contact us via email on the daily DFS at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at on the daily DFS. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt at the Oracle of Fantasy Labs and Rotoviz. Welcome to the August... Nope. <laughs> We're off to a flying start here. <laughs> Alright, one more time. <clears throat> Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50-70% to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory.